Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. This is Tony Richards, your master coach, and welcome to another episode of Better Than Before on the C-Suite Radio Network. So glad you joined us again this week for more uh, quality information and leadership and economic news. And we'll try to have a little fun along the way, too. Coming up today on the show, we'll review the national days that you can celebrate over the next week. So we'll take a look at the national day celebration calendar. It was the birthday of one of my favorite singers of all time this past weekend. Amazon prime day was last week. Did you take advantage and buy some stuff from Amazon has the banking emergency ended and five daily things to work on for CEOs to create culture all coming up today here on Better Than Before. Well, let's start with looking at days we can celebrate over the next week. Today, Tuesday, the 18th of July, is National Tropical Fruit Day. So what a better solution for dessert than that. It's also World Listening Day today, so thank you so much for listening to this show. It's Nelson Mandela International Day, National Sour Candy Day, and National Caviar Day today. Be sure and hold your pinky out. July 19th, it is Global Hug Your Kids Day. It's National Daiquiri Day for the fruity drinkers there. International Retainer Day for all dental folks. National Words with Friends Day and National Hot Dog Day on Wednesday. Man, my favorite is chili with some mustard. Second favorite is uh, hot dog relish and then another layer of mustard on uh, National Hot Dog Day. You probably have your favorite. You may like onions. I'll leave the onions off mine. I mean, not like I wouldn't eat it, but not necessarily my favorite. But uh, I'm sure you have your favorite way, just like with burgers and steaks and all the rest of it, ways to dress up your hot dog. So celebrate National Hot Dog Day this Wednesday. On Thursday, the 20th, it's National Moon Day. Take that special someone out that evening of Thursday, and I hope it's a nice moon wherever you're located. National Pennsylvania Day Thursday. It's National Get-to-Know-Your-Customers Day. National Lollipop Day. Take your customers a lollipop. National Fortune Cookie Day. National World Jump Day. Jump for joy. Play some Van Halen. Jump. International Chess Day. 
On Friday, the 21st, it's National Be Someone Day. It's National Junk Food Day, and it's National Lamington Day. On Saturday, July 22nd, it's National Day of the Cowboy. It's National Fragile X Awareness Day. National Panouche Fudge Day. It's National Mango Day. Mm, mangoes, very sweet, very delicious. National Hammock Day on Saturday. So if you have a hammock or if you don't have one, maybe you should get one, tie it between two solid structures or between two trees and take you a nap on Saturday. And it's National Rat Catchers Day on Saturday. I could tell you some rat catching stories from my youth and growing up in a place that had lots of grain and storage. Ooh. On Sunday, July 23rd, it's Gorgeous Grandma Day. So happy Gorgeous Grandma Day to all the gorgeous grandmas out there. World National Parents Day. And Sunday is also National Vanilla Ice Cream Day. Maybe you want to take your gorgeous grandma some vanilla ice cream on Sunday. Monday, the 24th, it is International Self-Care Day, National Drive-Through Day, National Cousins Day, National Amelia Earhart Day, and National Tequila Day coming up next Monday, July 24th. Those are your national days to celebrate over the next week. This past Saturday, a fantastic day because one of the singers in my top female singers of all time list, which I have published before, she is in the top five. Linda Ronstadt celebrated her 77th birthday, and she was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 2014. And Glenn Fry of the Eagles did her induction because they were very close. The Eagles at one time were her touring band. Bernie Leadon, Glenn Fry, and Don Henley all played as backups to Linda Ronstadt when she was on tour in like 70, 71, before their debut album came out in 72. And J.D. Souther, who was also a very close friend of the Eagles and wrote several songs, co-wrote several songs on Hotel California, he dated her. J.D. Souther and Jackson Brown lived together, and so did J.D. Souther and Glenn Fry, and they all were part of that Southern California, L.A. country rock sound that I still really love today. And Linda Ronstadt was just a fabulous female vocalist. She did a lot of cover songs, songs that other people did, but she also did a lot of original tunes. She did not write. She did songs that were written by other people. But her version of Long, Long Time, just fantastic. And unfortunately, she has a disease. I put it on my Facebook, the name of the disease, but it's a degenerative disease that now she can not sing any longer and she couldn't even go to the rock and roll hall of fame to accept to her induction so that's the sad part but she's still with us at 77 and linda just gave us so much good music and i listen to it really really often amazon prime day this past week did you buy some amazon stuff well, if you did, you were part of the $12.7 billion that was spent on July 11th and 12th during Amazon's Prime Day sales day, a 6.1% jump from a year ago. 
According to Adobe Analytics, Walmart, Target, and other retailers also offered savings deals to customers as their attempt to get people to buy from them instead of Amazon. But according to our press release, Amazon said July 11th was the single largest sales day in their history, but they did not provide the totals. Shoppers bought 375 million items across the two days, up from 300 million last year during the sales promotion. Adobe said it was a record two days for online shopping overall. Online sales were driven by appliances and toys, Adobe said. Other surging categories included apparel and electronics. Prime Day has become one of the biggest e-commerce moments of the year as consumers latch onto major discounts from a number of different retailers, said Vivek Pandya, lead analyst at Adobe Digital Insights. The record spending so far shows us that consumers are tapping into their inner bargain hunter. Elsewhere, curbside pickup was used in 20% of online orders on July 11th, according to Adobe, highlighting the staying power of a service that gathered steam during the pandemic. This is up slightly from last year. Amazon holds Prime Day in July every year to juice sales numbers during what are typically slow summer months. It also helps Amazon promote an early start to the back-to-school and college shopping period, according to J.P. Morgan analyst Doug Anmuth. Since Prime Day began in 2015, other chains, Walmart, Best Buy, and some others have their Black Friday in July events. They've also jumped in to capture shopper spending. Amazon shares Thursday morning were up a couple of bucks at 133. I bought some Amazon at around 104, bought them in a couple of my trading accounts. And I, according to all the data that I had, my number to hit was 175 for Amazon. And it's well on the way from 105 up to in the 135 range as it closed on Friday. I don't remember the exact number. But, you know, I really see Amazon coming back as they have disposed of some of the real estate warehouse space they didn't need. And they are really into the AI piece. And they just got so many great things. I'm looking for a tremendous earnings call coming up here for second quarter earnings, even though these July numbers will be in third quarter. But Amazon Prime Day, a huge success for Amazon. Now, let's talk about the banking crisis. Is the banking crisis over? Well, bank earnings started again this past week, and we're trying to figure out if the banking crisis is in the rear view. Well, it's calmed down drastically since March. Interest rates have stayed higher. Banks must pay more to depositors. Their security holdings have become less valuable than they once were. The big banks are what we're talking about here. And you need to distinguish between the big banks, the investment banks, and your local community banks, because your local community banks are really the good guys. They are doing their best to infuse capital into the communities they serve and be good partners to people and entrepreneurs in those communities. And investment banks have their place in the economy, too. There's just a difference. All banks are not equal. And so we're talking about banks that are releasing earnings numbers here. We're talking about the J.P. Morgan Chases, the Bank of America's, 
the Black Rocks. But J.P. Morgan Chase said its second quarter profit was up 67% thanks to a lift from acquiring the First Republic Bank in May. And you may remember First Republic Bank was going down and J.P. Morgan Chase jumped in and saved it by acquiring it. It's now a J.P. Morgan Chase property. BlackRock, meanwhile, also reported a jump in profits in the second quarter as rising inflows pushed its assets under management to $9.4 trillion. Its cash management products rose as investors flocked to capitalize on higher interest rates. Clients want more from a BlackRock, not less, CEO Larry Fink said. Also, an analyst said they have built a better mousetrap in terms of having better technology and options across all asset classes. Most asset managers are shrinking and BlackRock is growing. It was not a great quarter for Citigroup, whose profit fell 36%, but profit and revenue did surpass expectations. It's always interesting to hear from executives during earnings season. What are they noticing? What are they talking about? What are their comments say about the broad market and the economy? Well, here's what Citibank CEO Jane Frazier said. Markets revenues were down from a strong second quarter last year as clients stood on the sidelines starting in April while the U.S. debt limit played out. In banking, the long-awaited rebound in investment banking has yet to materialize, making for a disappointing quarter. For BlackRock, a better-than-expected market rebound in the year's first half helped the firm, known for its low-cost passive investment products such as exchange-traded funds. BlackRock also benefited from the bank turmoil that prompted Americans to move money from deposit accounts to money market funds. As for J.P. Morgan, it's clear the biggest bank in the world benefited from its size amid the panic in March. Customers pulled deposits from smaller banks and flocked to its perceived safety. J.P. Morgan racked up about $50 billion in deposits in March alone. And as interest rates have risen, J.P. Morgan has charged more on loans and increased the payouts for deposits more modestly, creating record revenues. Jamie Dimon, CEO for J.P. Morgan, said the U.S. economy continues to be resilient, consumer balance sheets remain healthy, and consumers are spending, albeit a little more slowly. Labor markets have softened somewhat, but job growth remains strong. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there are some quiet little rumblings that are starting to appear about Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, possibly throwing his hat into the ring for a presidential run this election season. So that would be interesting. So flashback, the year is 2020. Interest rates are near 0%. Government stimulus is flooding the economy, meaning people have more money to spend on stuff, and the stock market is booming. Life is good for corporate executives. So you follow the advice of your MBA grad advisors, take out a bunch of debt that's basically free with very little interest and pour that into your business. And the Federal Reserve even promises to backstop corporate debt markets through so-called quantitative easing, conditions unprecedentedly favorable for borrowing lots and lots of money. It's now three years later, and much of that cheap debt is coming due. And you face a basic trade-off. 
pay back those big debt bills now or double down and borrow more money to pay back the debt that's due and kick the can down the road. The problem is that interest rates are much higher now, meaning you might be swapping out debt with almost no interest for much costlier debt. The extra interest companies have to pay when replacing debt stands at more than five times the average since 2018. Bloomberg calculates that these companies on average have 4.7 years to put new financing in place, the least amount of time ever. As rates first began rising, many companies just sat on the sidelines, but now 40% of that $785 billion wall of debt must be refinanced between 2024 and 2026. As a result, the credit rating firm Moody's projects that global default rates for high-yield corporate borrowers, we're talking about corporate bonds and corporate debt, firms considered less financially stable will jump from 3.5% this year to 5% next year. But Gurpeet Gill, a macro strategist at Goldman Sachs, is not worried. She argues that the pandemic knocked out many of the shakiest, unstable companies already, and by the time most companies have to refinance in 2025, interest rates will be likely coming down or already have fallen. If that's true, companies could largely sidestep the Fed's rate hike campaign in 22 and 23, and doing so, they can, one, borrow in mass during the pandemic, and two, refinance a year or so from now when the Fed may be cutting rates in response to an economic slowdown. And it is great to think about the day that will come when the Fed cuts rates, but I am of the opinion that is not anytime soon. About 30 days ago, a lot of people were saying, well, the Fed, there's not going to do anything this go round and they'll start cutting next go round. I was never confident in that. Pundits were all saying that, but inflation remains pretty strong, and they still got to raise some interest rates to get that inflation down to a more manageable place. The job market is still booming. As you will notice here, second quarter earnings are still coming in, and we'll keep an eye on it here as more and more earnings calls come out. People, companies are still making money from their earnings. So that is not what the Fed is trying to do. They're trying to slow down demand and decrease the amount of money these companies are making and also get the unemployment number back up and get the inflation number down. And so they're going to continue hiking rates until they get that to a place where they feel like they've got their job done. Okay, so let's talk about five daily things to work on for CEOs to create culture. So this is our leadership development and executive development piece for this week. And so here's my list. Number one, protecting your position over creating desirable company results. Number two, feeding your ego over creating an accountable culture. Number three, choosing certainty over clarity. Number four, preserving stability over productive and healthy conflict. 
And number five, being guarded over being vulnerable. Let's start with number one. Number one daily thing that a CEO has to work on to create culture, protecting your position over creating desirable company results. So the best way to understand this list is just to reflect on it and decide which one of these may fit you or your situation, because this list can apply and be very beneficial for anybody in a leadership position that has a group of people where you're trying to further the company culture. Organizational success and personal professional success should be one in the same. Although it is healthy for any human being to separate his or her sense of self-esteem from success on the job, as far as professional success is concerned, they should not be going in different directions. And often, a CEO will justify what they're doing, even when the organizations they lead are failing or not achieving the results that they would like. You have to ultimately judge your personal and professional success by the results on the bottom line for the company or by the objectives that your company has set in its strategy. That's not to say that human factors aren't important or even the most important on an emotional level, but you are responsible for the results of the company and your personal results should follow that. A pronounced concern for your, and this is what I've seen a lot of people fail. They are thinking too much about the job they want rather than the job they have. The CEO's job often is the ultimate position in the company, right? But if you want to be a CEO someday, if you want to be a division leader someday, if you even want to be a department head someday, you can't lose focus on what you are supposed to be doing right now. And if you do a good job with what you're doing right now, that will be noticed and the leaders will consider promoting you. But if you're constantly focused more on what you need to do to get that next job you want, rather than producing results in the job you have, that can be a self-defeating action. So worrying about how much public recognition you get is a possible sign of susceptibility to this number one issue that I'm talking about. All right, let's talk about number two, feeding your ego over creating an accountable culture. And what happens here when you're trying to promote accountability in an organization, what gets in the way is friendship. So if you consider yourself to be a close friend, a close pal, a close ally of your team, your executive team, or of your team that you are leading, well, when they get unhappy with you or they don't like one of your decisions or they don't like one of the things that you have to call them on in order to promote accountability, you could be susceptible to this particular one. Your ego gets bruised, your emotions take a hit, and then you suffer the temptation. Now, not that everyone falls for this because there are a lot of really good CEOs. I have a lot of CEOs as clients that manage this problem very, very well. And 
they figure out how to analyze and process their feelings while still at the same time holding their team accountable and they still maintain a healthy relationship. And that's what it's all about. That's the balancing act, keeping the relationship healthy, doing what you need to do to contribute to that relationship while at the same time doing what you need to do as far as enforcing and holding true the accountability standards over your people. Number three, choosing certainty over clarity. And oftentimes this has to do with the changes that you need to make. I loved Bob Iger's book, and he's now back again for another tour of duty as CEO over the Walt Disney Company. And in his book, he talked about how, and I have a couple of CEO clients that they both have this problem as well. And that is maintaining a balance in a company that's been around for a long time and trying to lead it into its future without stepping on the importance of its past. And Bob Iger, the way he described it was that, and you can imagine, and I always say, you know, it's like you want to mess with Mickey Mouse's ears. You don't do that. You don't mess with Mickey Mouse at all. He described it as having this company legendary status in a glass case that you just couldn't touch. But he knew that he had to lead it into a future that was constantly changing. And he acquired the Marvel catalog. He acquired the George Lucas, Lucasfilm catalog of Star Wars. He acquired Marvel and Pixar and several other things. And he already had a animation studio at Disney. And he went out and bought the competitive studio of Pixar and brought it in-house and then operated them separately, but also under the Walt Disney umbrella. And that's not easy to do. And that is choosing some uncertain things, some risk, taking on some calculated risk that is achievable, difficult, but achievable while not disturbing what's already been built. And I love that a quote from Mark Twain. He said, it's not what you know that will get you in trouble. It's what you're absolutely sure of that just ain't so. And sometimes the certainty that you are counting on as a CEO, it's a nice idea and a nice thought, but it just ain't so. And you can't, to be successful, it depends. If you want to preserve your position 100%, let's say you want to be a CEO for 15, 20 years over this company, and you just want to retire then and just navigate through all that, well, then you change things and you have a company that has a long history and a lot of legacy. You change things the least amount of things possible. You stay with the certainty. You stay with Everybody just cruising along, doing the thing the same old way that they've always done it. And you escape from the job, but you've preserved your reputation and that of the company. But if the company hasn't progressed, it hasn't moved forward, and it's beginning to be irrelevant in the marketplace. And so that's a daily thing to work on if you're a CEO in that position. You have to be clear about what you need to do in order to make the company relevant 
to the marketplace. And when people are going digital, you have to provide digital solutions. When people are starting to use AI, you've got to provide AI solutions. Or you just keep doing it the same old way you've always done it, and the company slowly but surely dies. It just doesn't die under your watch. All right, number four of the daily things to work on if you're a CEO creating culture, preserving stability over productive and healthy conflict. And this is just keeping harmony with your executive team and keeping everything harmonious and a good feeling rather than having a healthy debate over good ideas or bad ideas and how either what's the risk doing them or not doing them. I like the three question framework. Why do we need to look at this? What are the consequences that could happen to the company if we don't do this? And what are the positive advantages? And what does this enable us to do going into the future? And if you can intelligently answer those three questions, the decision pretty much presents itself. And then you can then begin the debate. Now you've solved the debate about the direction. Now you are going to have a debate over how you proceed in the direction. You can argue over where we're going directionally. And then you, once you solve that, then you start the argument, debate, and healthy conflict over how we're going to get there. We've already decided we're going to move in this path. Now the discussion becomes, how are we going to move on this path? And that can cause people to, if they care about the company, it causes them to be very emotional about the direction. And they, uh, you know, the best way here is to get people to separate their ideas from themselves. In other words, I am not my idea. My idea is something that I have, not who I am. Therefore, when my idea gets rejected or accepted, that doesn't mean I am rejected or accepted. And if you can get that across to people and get their buy-in, all of this becomes much easier. Number five, being guarded over being vulnerable. And this one is just about making sure that trust is present in your team and trust is present in your organization and in your culture and that you are saying times when you're wrong, you admit it, I messed that up, but you don't do it in order to just move on and say, oh, well, I guess the best thing to do is just for me to fall on the sword and then we can get on down the road. No, that's not, that's not genuine. It's genuinely admitting when you've made a mistake, genuinely admitting when you're upset and when you believe that things have been done wrong, and nobody loves that. Nobody loves to go into work that day and say, you know, I was wrong. And some people absolutely refuse to do it. And those are the people that really lose face with people. When everyone knows it was a bad decision and you did it and it was wrong and you don't saddle up to it and admit it, you lose face. Great CEOs don't lose face in the slightest when they're wrong because they know who they are. They have high self-esteem. They know why they're the CEO, and they realize that the results, not the appearance of being smart, 
not the appearance of being the guru. That is not their ultimate measure of success. They know the best way to get results is to put their weaknesses on the table and invite people to help them minimize those weaknesses. And those CEOs that understand that intellectually, but they can't get their behavior there, sometimes they make the mistake of finding symbolic moments to admit mistakes and weaknesses. And this just reinforces the idea that the CEO is unwilling to put real weaknesses on the table. And overcoming this requires a large degree of fear conquering, conquering your fear of what happens if you just are vulnerable and honest and fear of overcoming the pain that you know is going to be created. And I promise you, if you're vulnerable with your people and if you're genuine with your people, that pain doesn't last very long. It's very momentary. And then you see what happens with your people and they see what happens. You have modeled a great behavior to them for duplication and they will replicate it and they will be vulnerable with their people as well. All right. Those are the five daily things to work on for CEOs, parentheses, and other leaders, parentheses, to create culture. Number one, protecting your position over creating desirable company results. Number two, Feeding your ego over creating an accountable culture. Number three, choosing certainty over clarity. Number four, preserving stability over productive and healthy conflict. And number five, being guarded over being vulnerable. That's our show this week, everybody. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4. Go to my website, clearvisiondevelopment.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter, The Monday Morning Memo. It will land in your mailbox every Monday morning with three big ideas every week, a short little article on a leadership issue or a company, an organizational issue, and either a question to journal or a quote to ponder in your journal. And speaking of that, here's a great quote for this week since we were talking about the banking crisis. Economists are often asked to predict what the economy is going to do. Economic predictions require predicting what politicians are going to do, and nothing is more unpredictable. Thomas Sowell. Well, what's predictable is that Monday morning memo email is going to land in your mailbox if you go to the clearvisiondevelopment.com website and on the homepage, scroll to the bottom, enter your email address in the little box and smash the button, and you're signed up and ready to go. Nothing could be easier. Special thanks, as always, to our producer, Tessa Hall, who always makes this show sound so good. And until we visit again next week here on the C-Suite Radio Network, I'm your host of Better Than Before, Tony Richards, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.